0: This week's edition of The Sword and Staff, I'm one of your hosts, Josh Robinson, and joining me today, as always, is my co-host, <laughs> Sketchy Richie. Sketchy Richie, what are you laughing about right now? <laughs> well,
1: if they could see you, they'd be laughing along with me right now. It's pretty funny. It's Why is that? ET <laughs> e. is over there underneath his blanket with a stock
2: on his wall. A WWE blanket at that.
0: So. Okay. so I'm trying my best to make sure that the audio for this episode turns out well, because we have in studio with us again today, our guest... Uh, Not-so-Sketchy Travis compared to Richie. <laughs> Not-so-Sketchy Travis. We're,
2: we're thinking about renaming him Witchy Richie. Witchy Richie. So. Witchy Richie, mean. Sketchy <clears throat> Richie, whatever you want
0: to go with. I mean, it's, it's, neither of them are lies. And since we have Travis in studio again today... And since we have such a small um, studio room to operate in, that means that you get all kinds of audio funkiness, and so I'm literally sitting here (laughs) at a table by myself. (laughs) Don't worry,
1: you will see a picture of what I'm seeing
0: right now. I'm posting it just as soon as this is done. With a large WWE blanket over top of me, with a sock on my microphone, trying to get my audio to be as nice as I possibly can. And so, uh, we'll see how it turns out. So, Richie, Travis, how are you guys feeling today?
2: Feeling pretty good. We're <laughs> off to a pretty good start. It, it's really weird and sketchy, and we haven't even started really talking is. about
0: it yet. So. Yeah, we're, kidding. we're yeah. feeling good. All right, we're good. Well, on today's episode of The Sword and Staff, we're going to be getting into a topic that personally, I have wanted to discuss for a long time, and that is all things Egypt. So we're going to get into some of the Egyptian creation stories, Egyptian cosmology. We're going to talk about the Sphinx, the pyramids. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, some Egyptian religion. We're going to talk about occult connections. And at the end of today's episode, we're going to do a section on Bless, baptize, and burn. And then we'll also talk about Christ's lordship over Egypt. So should be an absolutely fascinating episode. Um, it's a place that's near and dear to my heart. Ever since I was a kid I, and growing up, I wanted to be an Egyptologist. And uh, so I became the next best thing, which was a pastor. And... Um, that's the next best thing to an Egyptologist. <laughs> well, you is, get is to talk a about. Well, if you if you talk about the biblical narrative, you get to talk about Egypt, and you get to do some some background stuff. So yeah, you know, uh, without you know going off and getting a degree in Egyptology or whatever, yeah, it's the best that I could do in a small town. So fair enough.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, Travis t- is over here practicing his automatic writing, his channeling abilities over here. No. I highly doubt the trans. Yeah, no, listen. That's exactly no.
2: how you start out practicing that. When you, I was when you tra- testing when you try to see it. if this pen worked. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not out,
1: summoning anything. Instead of clearing your mind like ritually, you do it with the drawing the, the squiggly lines with the pen. Helps you to channel the spirits.
0: Travis, oh. are you going to be a regular with us?
1: Because uh, people yes. really
0: people really like the episode that we did together on the coal mines. As regular as I can be. All right. Well, there, uh, there I'm you heard it. Join folks. as often as I can. There you heard it. Well, to kind of get started, um, we are going to get into Egyptian creation and cosmology, and in order to understand the religion of Egypt and the pyramids and all of that stuff, you got to kind of start back in the beginning, right? And um, I sent some stuff over to you guys this week on Egyptian cosmology and creation. And here's the deal. This is kind of a preface to today's uh, episode, kind of like what we did on the Atlantis episode, kind of like what we did on the Norse mythology episode. We've got to start with a preface. And we've got to start off by saying this. There are various creation stories in ancient Egypt, right? Yeah. Like, there's not just yeah. one.
2: Geographically different. <clears throat> yeah. different uh, stories, different
0: parts of Egypt. That's right, different stories, um, different, different gods at the center of the stories, different emphasis, uh, emphases, um, all of that, and there's various reasons why, which you just kind of alluded to, Travis, and, and basically, um, here's some of those reasons. So the Nile River Valley was settled by Paleolithic people uh, back prior to you know 10,000 BC, and back then it was actually a fertile place it wasn't the Sahara as we know it uh, today but um, after that we start to see that the earliest permanent settlements in that area belong to the Neolithic period which was around 8000 BC onward and uh, during this period this Neolithic period um, Egypt was kind of split off geographically okay so you had upper Egypt and you had lower Egypt and these two places had differing deities symbols and myths. So, for example, Lower Egypt at the time uh, was kind of a... Uh, could be, basically be described as a, a cult of Mother Earth. And they worshipped this cosmic world serpent, which is a recurring motif, right? yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, and then Upper Egypt at the time was kind of the opposite. So, instead of worshipping the feminine and uh, a creation that slithers on the ground they worshipped a masculine sky vulture. And so what what ends up happening is after the unification of Egypt under uh, the first pharaoh in around uh, 3,100 B.C., somewhere around that, the kingship kind of associated themselves with the sun uh, instead of the earth. And then what they did, though, is they, instead of uh, getting rid of the The feminine earth part of it, what they did is they kind of merged the various parts of the pre existing myths into one uh, mythology. And so, uh, throughout various parts in Egyptian history, you had different dynastic periods. Um, You had, you know, Old Kingdom and, you know, New Kingdom and stuff like that. And during these different, um, Periods, you ended up with different religious centers as well. So you ended up with uh, religious centers like Memphis, Thebes, Heliopolis, and Hermopolis. And these are actually there are actually, as far as I know, there are four different Egyptian cosmogonies, right? Different creation stories. And the reason why is because these were the four different religious centers, right? Memphis, Thebes, Heliopolis, and Hermopolis. And whenever you actually get into the stories, you find them in sources like the Pyramid Text, Coffin Text, uh, Egyptian Book of the Dead, et cetera, et cetera. So we need to start off with that preface, right? There is not one Egyptian creation story. There, there are four. It, there appears there are four different creation stories, and they are different from one another. And these are the reasons why, because there were various mythologies floating around in Egypt um, in pre. Pharaonic times, and then whenever the kingdoms were united, they kind of all got merged together in some ways, and there were differing versions of those stories. So, all right, so let's actually get into the uh, Egyptian cosmology story. So, we're going to look at the the myth of Heliopolis, and I know you guys are just brimming to talk about this story after after we talked about it this week. So, In the creation myth of Heliopolis, which seems to be um, pretty much the most popular one that I've seen, it seems to be the ones that scholars are dealing with the most, Um, we kind of begin with the primordial waters, right? There's nothing. And by nothing, we just mean there's no order yet, right? In this worldview, there's... Just the waters. That's right. Just the primordial waters. There's nothing other than that. And then suddenly... Um, you have a spiritual being um, who arises from an egg out of the waters. And his name is Atum. And uh, he's kind of... he's, he's uh, In Heliopolis, he is like the god through which everything is created. Yeah. Right? And we see that Atum comes up from the primeval waters in an egg. And then he eventually... He evolves... Um, he he he's a, he's self-created, is how the Egyptians kind of view him. And after his self-creation, he has different evolutions. Um, he eventually evolves into the what's called the primeval mound, which is basically like if you go back and look at Egyptian art and hieroglyphics, it's it's kind of depicted as like a pyramid, kind of rising out of the waters. And then from Atum also emerges. Um, many of the other Egyptian deities and there are various ways in which they emerge from Atum. And I don't know if uh, what do you guys want to step in and maybe talk about. How exactly I think we'll
2: it. let Travis uh, line up on uh, this one. Would, you yeah. would. Okay. So... The he was self-replicating, I guess you would say, um, through ingesting his own bodily fluids that are used for his his own reproduction. His 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 reproductive reproductive fluids. fluids. So So, you
0: use your imagination there, and guess how he did that. That's as as in depth as I'm gonna go, (laughs) right? Yeah. And so he uh, he gives birth to the first two gods, which are um, oh I can't remember. I think it was Shu and Tefnut. Are their names? I'd have to go back and look exactly. The Um, air
2: god Shu and his sister Tefnut.
0: Yeah, that's right. And um, from them, they kind of do the same process, except those two, one is male and the other is female. And those two end up actually having relations in which gods come from them. And then you end up with, you know, the sky god Newt. Um, with the Earth, her brother, who is the Earth, Gabe. And uh, eventually, so on, you end up with Ra, who is the sun god, right? Um, And here's the interesting thing. Whenever you look at Egyptian cosmology, they actually, um, because of their cosmology, encountered what they considered to be the divine in normal, everyday life, right? Um, So, and here's kind of how that worked. So whenever they uh, looked at the sky, they envisioned that it was the sky goddess Newt. And she's kind of if you go back and you look at pyramid texts, right, and you look at the depictions of the Egyptian cosmology, um, she's kind of like in a yogic pose, doing like downward dog. Downward dog. And like the stars are in her body. But whenever they looked up at the blue sky, they, they saw that as looking up at Newt. Right? Yep. So creation in this cosmology is divine. And then whenever they looked at the sun, they didn't just understand it as looking at the sun, but actually looking at the sun god, Ra. And it's interesting. I think it's absolutely fascinating. The way that they understood Ra, the sun to be working in their cosmology, um, they actually viewed the sun as kind of like uh, it was Ra sailing across the back of Newt. Yeah. Right on a on a boat, and so like whenever you see pharaohs dying, and you see like uh, in their tombs, you'll see that a lot of times they find uh, boats. Right, it's it's kind of uh, playing out with this story, this cosmology, yeah. right? Um, but what they said was um, the sun is raw, being reborn every day, and then he makes his way across the sky, which is symbolic for his life, and then whenever the sun goes down. He actually enters into death. He dies. And then there, in the underworld, he, um, he battles a chaos serpent. Well, who was the serpent again? A peppy. A peppy. A peppy. Or, uh, or a pep, a peppy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> That's debatable. Yeah. yeah.
0: Being from West Virginia, the first <laughs> thing that comes to mind is the peppy Biscuit from Tudors. It's it's definitely a peppy from Tudors. (laughs) A peppy. A peppy. Uh, So, um, actually, a a peppy too comes from uh, it was a part of the leftover mother goddess religion. So, the serpent, the cosmic serpent that was worshipped as like this benevolent mother in this, uh, and whenever it merged under the pharaohs, it becomes a. Uh, a malevolent serpent of the underworld. So yeah. you can kind of see parts here left over.
2: Is it, isn't it considered the god of chaos?
0: Yes, actually. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
2: And even in mo- d- multiple cultures, this,
1: the whole serpent deity is a, a chaos sort of monster, a chaos god.
2: Yeah. I think it's fascinating too. Just with raw the daily, you have a death burial. And resurrection,
0: yeah, daily, yeah.
2: daily, daily, in We're, their in their cosmological uh, view,
0: yeah, and so like literally that too. And it's like and he enters through the underworld, right through, and, the, through and, the netherworld,
2: and, and, and defeats the serpent defeats by, by literally like cutting the, off
0: its head, the crushing right.
2: of the serpent's
0: head, like, like the Egyptian right. version of like the harrowing of hell, right. And so, and then he comes back up and he's reborn the next morning. Yeah. It's like a resurrection, right? right?
2: What a dramatic way to live. Could you? Right. Every, you said, day, every, every day, day, every day, you're wondering <laughs> yeah. if you're going to be plunged into eternal darkness
0: or if the sun raw is going to yeah, rise. Yeah. 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 And, but you can yeah. also see, too, how, like, they had a very, very, an overly mythologized view of creation, yeah. right? Yeah. Where Creation doesn't just point to the divine like we as Christians would say. Uh, right? That's what natural revelation is. It, it points to the divine. Um, but in their view, I mean, this is classic paganism 101. You can go back to the episode we did on paganism where we talked about this. This is classic paganism 101 because they conflate uh, the creation with the creator. Right? The sun is divine. The sky is divine. The earth is divine. Um, the air is defined because they associated the air with the god Shu the God shoe the earth with the god Gabe, you know, Ra with the sun and Newt with the sky. So you can see like they literally thought that they were encountering their deities in these normal everyday things that people like us kind of take for granted, right? So So moving forward now, you kind of see these thoughts and these religious convictions, getting embodied in the culture of of Egypt, right? And specifically in things like the pyramids, and yep. the Sphinx, and this is this is something that just this week has absolutely blown my mind, right? Um, if you actually okay, all right. So think about it this way: if um, if Atum is the primeval mound and he's like a pyramid, you can immediately see. Why the pyramids are a big deal to the Egyptians and why they're building them, right? This, these are basically a place where the divine dwells. Yeah, yeah. because that's what At- At- Atum is a primeval hill. It's like a pyramid, um, which also makes sense of things like the Sphinx, right? Like, yeah. okay, think, Let's think like about. Yeah, that's right. Let's think yep. about it from a biblical paradigm, right? Um, in biblical sacred space there are there are always guardians of sacred space right yes. so think about it adam and eve they're up on top of the holy mountain of eden they get kicked out right and what does god put in front of the doorway back to eden guarding the way oh yeah the cherubim, the cherubim with the, the cherubim yeah and, and not only that but the the throne room in isaiah 6. that's right and in the throne room in isaiah 6 there are seraphim, seraphim yep. floating flying around the throne they're guarding the throne of god they're singing holy 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 right and the, here's the interesting thing all of these beings are uh polymorphic Yep. right they are like so for example they're combinations of things right like the seraphim is like a serpent with but also has wings yeah the cherubim has the face of a man uh, he's got wings but he has, also has like a face that's kind of like a an ox he's got wings like wings like an eagle all of those types of things so it's like a, a mishmash of, of different beings right um, you see this in other world religions too right like not just in Christianity but but in other places too like for in Chi- for example in China places like that in front of their temples there are always guardian lines right? Um, I mean you see that in like Marvel like Marvel's movie Shang-Chi right they actually come alive
2: and I mean you have gargoyles and things like that that, statues you know of guardians of these places I mean there's all kinds of yeah, well if you're if you grew or... up
0: in the eighties too, you watch the the movie The Never Ending Story, and whenever a tray use going through the mm-hmm. gates, there he's basically, he, oh, basically yeah. he basically goes through yes, cherubim about that. yeah who like shoot laser beams from yeah. out of their eyes, right? Um, well, you know, but th- this is also in you know in Babylon too, right? Babylon has their own version of this. Um, but that's what they do. So that's what the Sphinx is doing. That's the symbolism of the Sphinx. It's not hard to figure out if you understand how sacred space functions, right? Places where gods dwell and where God dwells, they're always guarded by other beings, right? That's how it is in the biblical world. I mean, even whenever you look at the temple or the tabernacle in Israel, there was a veil separating the holy place from the most holy place. And you know what was on the veil? A cherubim, right? Yep. And why is that? Because God put a cherubim in front of Eden guarding that sacred space. And the, the holy place is a microcosmic representation of Eden. Yeah. Right? It's the most holy place. It is the place where the presence of God dwells. Even and, the angels on top of the Ark of the Covenant. That's right. Um, that, strangely, that looks a lot
1: like what's depicted in Neverending Story.
0: Yeah, it's exactly like that. Yep. And, the, and Jesus, Jesus, after he uh, gives up the ghost on the cross, there's, there's something that's ripped. The veil. Yep.
2: The veil of the temple.
0: Right? It was the guardian cherub has been removed because and now man has access back to the most holy place where the presence of God dwells. So, but if you look at Egyptian myth, that's exactly what the Sphinx is doing. Um, it is guarding the holy mountains at Giza, the great pyramids. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, uh, here's something that I learned this week that was fascinating. The Sphinx is actually monolithic. It's made out of a single limestone. Um, It's also the oldest monument um, in in Egypt, and here's where we're going to get into some start getting into some weird stuff. And I know the Sphinx, yeah. Yeah. Um, Whenever you look at the date of the Sphinx, um, most modern modern, uh, archaeologists and Egyptologists uh, Egyptologists, sorry say that it dates back to 4,500 years ago, which is around 2,500 BC. However, um, there are some new studies out about the Sphinx that suggest that it could actually be older than that and that it could go back as far as 7,000 years ago, which would put it somewhere around 4,900 B.C. Now, Richie, there's some theories out there. There is. Right? And one of the theories, and you can talk about this a little bit, is that the Sphinx has water damage. Yep. Yep. But the problem is, is there's like the Nile River, the Giza has only had like over the past thousands of years, like very, like hardly, like no rain, right? Right. So how does the Sphinx end up with water damage?
1: Well, there was uh, scientists that look at it, they speculated that the Sphinx wasn't always what you see today, like that the Sphinx uh, at the base. What, the reason it has water damage is, um, I guess you could say it was a pre-deluvian structure. But then, as time goes on, as the it predates the Egyptians, that the Egyptians got there and sort of re- retooled the face and the upper sections, like in their own image and the image of their own pharaohs. So that's that's one of the the takes about the the Sphinx. It, it really ties in with a lot of what you see in Egypt. You go to any of these pyramids or their temples and you look at their com- and their, uh, the complex they sit on the, several levels below all these temples and pyramids are built on older structures and all these older structures have the same sort of uh, water, weathering, water weathering and uh, wind erosion and that can only happen if they were exposed to the elements so the, at one point these newer structures built on top of them just couldn't be there so, it proves that there was a civilization there in Egypt that predates the Egyptians, and the Sphinx is one of those remnants.
0: So, the theory is this How does it get the water damage? Let's talk about that. How does the Sphinx supposedly get the water damage? Almost Since,
2: like there was a big flood. Almost or something. like there was, yeah.
0: <laughs> a deluge. Right. Oh, wait. It,
2: there was. Oh, wait. There was.
0: Right. Um, <laughs> But here's the here's the tip, deal though. If you take so we did a, 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 an episode on Atlantis last week. Yep. Um, so if you take Plato at his word, which you should, yeah, then then Atlantis um, happened around seven thousand five hundred seventy eight BC. And if you take the oldest dates according to quote unquote mainstream uh, Egyptologists and archaeologists, the Sphinx only dates back to forty nine hundred BC. So it seems like I just there's... saw
1: Donald Trump in my head.
0: Wrong, <laughs> <laughs> wrong, wrong. So there's a, it seems like that there's an age a, a gap there, right? A thousands yeah. of years. But um actually, there's a pretty interesting theory which I'm I'm wanting to check into. I've not had the chance to check into it yet. Um, but maybe somebody out there can. Maybe this is where you guys can be uh, of help um, with like a program like Stellarium. <clears throat> oh, um, I have Stellarium on there. We'll, we definitely need to dig into that some. Okay, so there's a theory here by Graham Hancock and others besides Graham Hancock.
1: But before you dive into Go that, ahead. Did, looking at the Sphinx growing up, I know you were really into Egyptology and stuff like that. Did this did the the face of the Sphinx ever not strike you as something that just doesn't fit the structure? Like it, it just looks still so out of place like it doesn't belong to yeah <laughs> Travis is holding up your hand drawn image over here
0: it always kind of reminded me of the face <clears throat> on the mad tv or the mad comic books growing up yeah like it's how it always struck me <laughs> it kind of struck me as super out of place for it, sure it
1: does and even before i knew any of these uh, theories that the, that the, the face of the sphinx was new that it was retooled to reflect the who was the the builder of the complex of giza it was was it
0: uh, it, I would it have to go back and Kufu? look. It was uh Kofi or like Kara Karamet or something like that. I would have to go back and look. I, my phone is on charge so I don't have it's it. It's one me. of the one of those uh there's a pyramid built after the one who built yeah. uh, some of the stuff there at Giza. Yeah, that's
1: who they they theorize that the Sphinx's face was retooled to look like. Yeah, there's but, actually a temple
0: yeah. built right there at uh, the Sphinx that was actually dedicated to that pharaoh. Um, yeah, to
1: me you to me even without the historical facts even without the speculation you can look at the sphinx and tell that the upper sections have been retooled they've been they've been modified from the original structure
0: well and there are people who make that argument that that the sphinx is an older structure that was kind of uh you know had additions later on and There are people out there who suggest that the Sphinx is actually much, much older than it actually is. Oh, no Actually, That's that's where I stand on it. Actually, pre-Diluvian is what they say. And I actually have a quote here from Graham Hancock that kind of lays out that theory. And so here's what he says. He says, We have demonstrated with evidence that the the pattern of the stars that is frozen on the ground at Giza in the form of the pyramids in the Sphinx represents the disposition of the constellations of Orion and Leo as they looked at the moment of sunrise on the spring equinox during the astronomical age of Leo. It is generally calculated to have fallen between the Gregorian calendar dates of 10,970 and 8,810. Okay, so Plato's date for Atlantis is seven thousand five hundred and seventy-eight. This would put you at least a thousand to seven or not seven thousand, at least a thousand to several thousands of years prior to Plato's flood, which could mean that if if the Great Pyramids are aligned to the three stars at the center of Orion's belt, and if the if the Sphinx is uh, aligned with Leo, then that would put it back to pre-diluvian era. In my mind, there's no doubt. So that's Sketchy Richie's official hot tag
2: it's on the Sphinx. That's interesting.
0: It's so somebody somebody's got to do the work on this. Somebody's got to figure out if those actually align or not, uh, because it's a big deal if they do. Uh,
1: no, that's, but that's a big undertaking, even in Stellarium, yeah. because that that time gap is it's so. He's just a huge time gap. Yeah, and Stellarium wants to he wants you to break it down to like exact days and times and things like that. So, well, a lot here's to go through.
0: You know, here's the deal though. Um, the craziness doesn't just stop stop with the uh, Sphinx. It also goes on to the pyramids and the rest of the temples in Egypt too. So, um, I got a figure there for you all. Look at Figure One, if you would. Um, we actually see that. Whenever you look at the other places in, in uh, Egypt, like the, uh, the pyramids, uh, some of the pyramids at Giza, like the pyramids of uh, Menkari, and uh, the Great Pyramid there, they actually align with the cardinal directions. Like... like almost perfectly and not only that but with the pyramids uh, the pyramid of uh, Mincurri, the sunsets on the winter or the sunset on the winter solstice actually falls above the pyramid, literally over top of it And not only that, but you actually look, and they actually, you find that the Egyptians actually built the pyramids and the temples. We'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute, but the temples. But they actually built the pyramids according to what's called the Fibonacci Sequence. Anybody know what the Fibonacci Sequence is?
2: I do. I, I do, but thanks to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Fibonacci Sequence was something that I'd studied in the occult for, oh my gosh, years since the beginning of my practice i mean it ties in with sacred geometry and the fractal image of life that's reflected in things like sunflower seeds to things on the grand scale like even whole galaxies
0: so you want to explain to them like what it is mathematically yeah well so like you were saying you can kind of see it in things like if you've ever looked at a nautilus shell yeah and you see the design like it starts off at a very fine point it like is zero (laughs) And then it, as it goes on, you see that it gets bigger, right, in, the, in this uh, curve pattern. Well, it's, the, uh, it's kind of the same things with other things, too. Like, you can see the Fibonacci sequence in, like, sunflower seeds and the design that's there. Yeah. You can see it in, like, ram's horns, right? Actually, it's the, the reason why a ram's horns do not weigh a ram's head down is because of the Fibonacci sequence, because it has what's called the, it's the golden ratio that makes their horns balanced enough to not weigh their heads down, and it's this pattern that's written into creation. It's it's actually a many Christian apologists actually use it as a as an evidence for God and fine tuning, and um, but the Fibonacci sequence mathematically here's here's what it is and here's kind of how it works. Okay, um, so it starts off at zero. And then it goes to 1. And what you do from there is each number that follows is the sum of the previous two numbers. So you've got 0 and 1. What happens if you add 0 and 1? You get 1. You get 1. Alright, so now you've got 1 and 1. What happens if you add 1 and 1? You get 2. And then you get 2 and 1. Then you get 3. And then 5 and 8. 13, 21, 34, 55, 89, 144, 233, 377, 610, 987, and on and on and on and on it goes until infinity, right? Here's the interesting thing. Whenever you look at the structures of the pyramids and the mathematical sequences by which they're constructed, they actually follow the Fibonacci sequence. Starting at the very top, you see that at the like. Imagine that you're floating over top of the pyramid, right? And you're looking down at the point, right? That's the zero, and then as you see it, it spirals out from that that tip point, and it goes all the way down to the base, and you can see that it it uh, curves out like a nautilus shell, and it starts off with one, one and one, and then it goes to two, three, five, eight, thirteen, twenty-one, thirty-four, fifty-three, or thirty-three, uh, fifty-three, and then eighty-nine. Those are the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like eight, nine sequence pattern in the uh, sequences in the yeah. pattern. So the 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 pyramids are built according to a pattern that they saw in creation. Yeah,
1: and like, that and that pattern can literally run to infinity, and that's how you get things as small as like a sunflower seed to uh, a spiral galaxy. So yeah. I mean, it, it's it can it runs endlessly, but it's all this fractal image of life itself, of creation, of the, of what the occultists thought was the hand behind creation that yeah. was reflected in this pattern.
0: Well, And not only is the pyramids mm-hmm. constructed according to this pattern, but actually another great example of this too is the the, uh, the temple at Karnak or in Luxor. So actually, um, in, in figure one here, we'll have to put a picture of this in, uh, in Discord and all that for everybody to look at. Um, they actually, it, with the temp- this particular temple at Luxor, Uh, The fascinating thing was as they were looking at it, they found out that as they went through it, there were these marks just randomly, seemingly randomly placed throughout this temple. I think there was 12 of them. Um, I'm not sure. I'd have to get back with you on that number. But as they were looking at it, they started noticing that the, the marks fit a pattern. And the temple at Karnak is actually also laid out Uh, according to the cubits, how far these marks are apart, they're actually laid out according to the Fibonacci sequence. So it starts off at zero, it goes to 34, 55 cubits, 89 cubits, 144 cubits, 233 cubits, 377 cubits, and so on. So literally, here's kind of how the Egyptians understood this. They thought that whenever they built temples and pyramids this way, it was a participation in the pattern of life, right? Because that's what the Fibonacci pattern is. It's the pattern of life. Like you look all out through creation, from sunflowers to nautilus shells to spiral galaxies to on and on, right? This is the pattern of life. And so they thought that this is, you know, whenever you walk into our pyramids or our temples, you are participating in this life pattern. Right, which also yep. talk gets into their their rituals somewhat. Yep. Right, like whenever a pharaoh died, Richie, do you want to talk about some of that? Like whenever a pharaoh died, and uh, kind of like the pyramids and kind of how they're constructed, constructed, and you know all that. Like, what do you want to dive
1: into with that? Like the the purposes of the pyramids yeah, originally. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, a lot of people will be shocked to find that the pyramids were not really constructed to house any, any body of any pharaoh like actually, long term.
0: Actually, there was, has never been a, a, a body of a pharaoh found right. in, a, in a single pyramid. Yeah, if you look at the, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, the,
1: of the uh, funerary text and things found in sarcophagus in the temples and things like that, you'll see that the pyramid was designed as a resurrection machine. Like it was literally designed to play a part in the resurrection of the pharaoh.
0: Oh, and if I'm not mistaken, also like uh, that's what there there are chambers in them, right? And from what I understand, those were supposed to be viewed as like a a, a chamber for the spirit. Yep. To to kind of go out and come back in and all yeah, that. Yeah,
1: and these uh, these cha- these chambers, these tunnels that are that run through the pyramids, they aligned with certain astronomical points, those Mm. stars, and, uh, I mean, uh, during the certain solstices and things that they'll align with those windows, but yeah, that was meant to help the soul sort of
0: transition and resurrect. Well, and if you go back to it, it actually kind of makes sense, because if you look at the cosmology we're talking about, in their cosmology, they literally have a dying and resurrecting God every day. Yeah. Right, and that's what the pharaohs are thought to be. Right, they are the sons of the gods. Right, they are um, they are this in between character, and that's the reason if you go back and look at a lot of uh, pyramid text and funerary text, the pharaohs are are kind of depicted very similar to just the Babylonians. Right, the Babylonians they're depicted as having like half <laughs> like an animal head, yeah, you know, and a human body. Oh, well, it's it's kind of similar with the pharaohs as well, and that's because. They're viewed as these sons of, of the gods, and the, like a, like actually, if you go back and look at the first pharaoh, he was um, actually considered a giant. That's what I was going to say. It
1: plays a part in this uh, belief that all high society, high cultures back then had this this mixture king yeah. that that originated their their society. So you have like a, this Nephilim sort of mixture being being the like the the crown seat of their society. which you
2: gonna say you was going to say something, right, Travis? yeah i just had a question actually yeah, yeah go for it uh in, in these pyramids did they didn't they have like uh spells that were supposed to be recited like written in hieroglyphs and stuff for these spirits like to ward off that's right oh yeah spirits and stuff even within the their sac the, the the
1: sarcophagus things that are in there and even on the walls it was like a, a guide to help the spirit find its way yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: like then they they put uh, where they were buried. Like they put scrolls and things with directions and things yeah. to get to these these sacred uh, <clears throat> points to to become blessed spirits. I think is kind of how they're described, right? Yeah. Okay. But a lot if of people, I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. I'm oh just, no, I was asking. Yeah, a lot
1: of people look at the pyramids and they and they just assume that they are they're they've been grave robbed or they've been uh, desecrated over the years but it's actually the popular belief that there was never a body that was ever interred permanently in in the pyramid itself. Yeah. Which, strangely enough, you see this in a weird connection with uh, the movie Stargate, if anybody's <laughs> ever seen that. This alien pharaoh that comes down this pyramid UFO, he literally has a resurrection chamber that's in the heart of this pyramid that he used to keep himself alive and youthful and is reborn. Well, it kind
0: of reminds me of uh, X X Men movie, right? Where, um, oh, who is the character? It was the dude who plays uh, Moon Knight. He was the villain in it, and uh, he's kind of he's in a he's kind of got a resurrection chamber in there as well, and he resurrects, and he's in Egypt. Uh, so that theme kind of seems yep. to be like noted, right? And it's yep. being depicted in like pop culture, and uh, but that's that's you're exactly right. I mean, and think about it too, right? If these pyramids. Are laid out according to a Fibonacci sequence, and that's not debatable. They are. Um, that's not. That's not speculation or yep. conspiracy. They are. Um, that's one of the things that makes the Egyptians so impressive. Right? Is that they had this knowledge, in you know, like in an age that's called the Stone Age, right? Yep. And then you know, on into the Bronze Age and all that. But uh, but and they have this knowledge and they're able to do this and but it makes sense of the architecture right if it's if it's structured according to the pattern of life then it makes sense that they're not housing dead bodies there but they're used for the purposes of resurrecting the dead i mean yep. it goes back to their own cosmology right yep. you have this you have this god who dies and is resurrected and it makes sense that those who are united in his sons are also participating in the same pattern
1: Yeah, I remember looking at uh, a a map of Giza and seeing the pyramids and how they align with Orion. And it's it's believed by many that Orion, being a man of renown, is like a depiction of a Nephilim. So, like one of the Watchers. That's exactly right, yeah. So you literally have this pyramid literally pointing to where this sacred knowledge comes from. It's Watcher knowledge. So it's pointing back to the source. Oh, boy.
0: Okay. Watcher knowledge. Okay, so... That's fascinating. So, you, yeah, I mean, I think that you're right. You have, this begs the question, okay? And it's
1: not only in Egypt. You see the same alignment in multiple cultures, in multiple pyramid-building cultures around the world, these same pyramid structures erupting on various continents that, with people, groups that had no contact with each other, all building similar structures, all aligned with these same constellations, all pointing to where this sacred knowledge
0: came from, from this watcher source. In Orion. Well, I was about to say that that absolutely begs the question. Okay, like if the Egyptians are building temples and pyramids according to a fi- to the Fibonacci pattern, and if they are aligned with the stars, and uh, and all of these crazy amazing things that we can't even reproduce now. modern Egyptians can't even they don't even know how their ancestors built the pyramids, right? Like they you, actually they couldn't even read hieroglyphics until the past. Two one hundred two hundred years and whenever they found the Rosetta stone and they were able to reconstruct the languages um, so if like modern Egyptians don 't even know how to do this and this kind of uh, technology and uh, knowledge has been lost, then we have to ask the question the where did it come from to begin with right like how yep. is it that these people who are well i mean according to the mainstream narrative on a lot of this stuff, they're people who are dumb. Oh, right. yeah. They're They're stone agers. Like, they, they barely know how to make the wheel. But here they are cu- making mo- monolithic structures out of sandstone and aligning their yeah, pyramids you the like, th- These are the people that are making, like, mud brick like, huts with,
1: like, thatched roofs, but yet yeah, they're grand architects building temples that are aligned with the stars. Right. So, I mean,
0: and the Fibonacci in sequences the, yeah, and yeah, the, the s- cardinal directions <laughs> and so on. So, the question is, is, Where do they get this knowledge and where does it come from? Because here's the reality. Um, There's not much like... There's no predecessors to this in Egypt. If you literally take the,
1: uh, the mainstream narrative at face value, it's literally like saying that they woke up one morning as grand architects and like master craftsmen, like overnight.
0: That's right. It's like they just woke up one day inspired... And decided they were just going to build the pyramids.
1: Like, hey, I know the formula to uh, the secret of life, and I'm going to structure this pyramid aligned with the the heavens. Let's let's just do this on a weekend
0: project. Well, I think that if you look at the Great Pyramids and you see where they point, if they are aligned to the stars in Orion, which is a giant, that probably gives you a clue to where. Listen, the that right
1: there from. is all I need to know. Like, that's <laughs> that's like the ancient occultist pointing like, this is a big blaring beacon. Like, this is where this comes from. This knowledge comes from. Yeah. It's watcher knowledge. Yeah,
0: it's, it's fascinating from
1: the cosmos. Which is why people look back to to civilizations like a, uh, like a, the ancient Egyptians and say that they were descendants or that they got this knowledge from the Atlanteans. Like it's the same sort of watcher knowledge. Yeah, linking back to our episode we just done.
0: Well, I mean, you you know, in Egypt there actually are uh, text, uh, pyramid text, and temple text. ...of the Atlantis story. Yeah. So, I mean, they are kind of looking to them as a kind of ancient predecessor. And did you
1: say in the story, actually, that uh, Plato's
0: re- uh, recount of uh, Atlantis, that they actually had, like, strongholds in Egypt. Yes. Yeah. In Plato's story, they actually did have strongholds in Egypt. And if the Sphinx is pre-Diluvian, you know, according to Graham Hancock, then it's 100% possible. You know, if we also point.
1: take it, the belief that this Watcher knowledge is something that was given in stronghold points in these various cultures like Atlantis, Egypt, all these other places, it also makes sense why all these other cultures started building pyramid structures literally around the same time.
0: So, it's 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 just fascinating to me that this knowledge just randomly, just seemingly disappears, right? Like, it just literally falls off of the face of the earth like the egyptians don't remember how to build the pyramids they don't know how they built the pyramids to begin with um they they don't know how like they they can't even read their own hieroglyphics right but it's interesting because whenever you look around you actually see that this knowledge did get carried on in certain schools right Right. Uh, particularly in the, the world of the occult, and especially in the work of Aleister Crowley. <laughs> I was going to say, oh homeboy Aleister Crowley. Yeah, so, uh, so for, now, for those who don't know, um, Alis- uh, kind of tell people about Aleister Crowley, Richie. Oh gosh, Aleister Crowley was you opened up a wormhole. You've opened
1: up a wormhole. <laughs> up a wormhole. Uh, Aleister Crowley, where do you even start with somebody like that? The guy was self-described himself as the beast. He's been described as the, the most wicked man in history. He, he was uh, a consultant to kings and rulers on things of the occult. Uh, but he developed his, this own, his own formal practice of high occultism based on this
0: Egyptian sort of Secret knowledge that we're talking about here. That's right. Now, people may be saying, well, "Well, how is Crowley connected to Egypt, right?" Because most of most people think of him as, you know, uh, most people don't think of him as being in Egypt, right? But right, actually, um, like I mean, he's consultant kings, right? And, yeah. You know, you're talking well, literally.
1: About- world leaders used to come to Aleister Crowley for advice on spiritual matters. So that just shows you his his wide range of influence.
0: Well, yeah. So. Crowley's entire Thelemic corpus basically comes from Egypt. It does. So, yeah. um, so the book of the law which is in Latin Liber uh, Liber al Vel Legis uh, which is basically the whole it's this, it is the central sacred text for Thelemma was actually get this dictated to Crowley on his honeymoon yeah. with his wife Rose Edith Kelly in Cairo, Egypt by a being who called himself Ayawas. And not only that, but the three chapters in the book are actually said to have been dictated to Crowley by the deities of Nut, Hadit, and ra hor kut Now, if those names don't sound familiar to you, basically Nut is the sky Egyptian sky goddess that we talked about earlier. And uh, uh,
1: so Crowley's out here just casually honeymooning out here in Egypt, basically performing sex magic and taking on the essence of these watchers and
0: coming up with his own religion. Well, and that's basically what he what he did. It's um, exactly what he did. So, I mean, you, that's what you end up with with the lemma, right? I mean, yeah. it's basically sex magic. And... Um, not to mention that Iowas is uh, very, very reminiscent of what we call a gray alien today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was when you look at the uh, the pictures of Lamb or Iowas, it's it's thought to be the first actual depiction of what we know today as a gray alien, the
2: modern alien. Yeah,
1: long before the the widespread sort of outbreak that came like post uh, area post uh, Roswell.
0: What's fascinating because you look back at, like, the pyramids and uh, Egyptian culture and then Babylonian culture, especially with stuff like the Anunnaki and stuff like that, people, well, modern people, you know, people who are proponents of ancient astronaut theory, say those are ancient aliens. And here you have Crowley in ancient Egypt encountering beings like Iawas, who says he is a servant of uh, Ra, or maybe it was Horus, I can't remember, a minister of Ra, I think it was, and... Um, he's here encountering beings who look a lot like these beings. Maybe, just maybe, these beings that people consider to be ancient aliens and modern aliens, maybe actually those are the fallen watchers that the Bible talks about. Oh, no <laughs> doubt in my mind. Right. Maybe and they're the people who have been posing to be the gods and they're all the same beings. Um, so, now, here's here's something too that might be shocking to people. Um, not only is this uh, Egyptian um, goddess worship uh, God worship um, embody what actually that's what the universal hexagram uh, the universal hexagram that Crowley uh, made that's actually what it's embodying right like the top the top is uh, the top triangle is um, symbolic for hadith which is the male um, version of newt right it's the masculine. And then the bottom triangle with his sigil is uh, it symbolizes newt and at the center there's this flower which kind of symbolizes the two being joined together in rapture, right? Which is basically a symbol yep. for Crowley's sex magic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In in, in Thelema and all the the higher occult sort of traditions you see this represent this symbol that's like the uh, the chalice and this phallus symbol there are two triangles that are inverted of each other that come together and make sort of these interlocking Vs. It's actually the same symbol you see in Freemasonry when you have the compass and things that
0: come together with the big G in the middle. It's that same symbol. Well, I'm glad that you brought up Freemasonry because actually this stuff gets carried out in Freemasonry too. And this is what I was going to say might be shocking to some people. But actually, whenever you look in Freemasonry, there actually is a Masonic rite where this stuff gets carried on. You guys ready for this? It's called the Memphis Masaryum Rite. Now, if you remember, what was one of the religious centers in Egypt? It was Mm -hmm. Memphis. Memphis. Yeah, that's right. And whenever you... This is straight from the the website to this rite. You can go look it up. Um, It claims to be a spiritualistic and deistic orientation. So it's, you know, there's a god, but... not necessarily active and you know but we're you know we're trying to seek this god through spiritual stuff but here listen to this they say that the the vocation um, of those who participate in this masonic rite is to preserve and transmit the philosophical reflections and symbols of ancient egypt in different currents that have marked civilization, such as Hermetic knowledge, Gnostic knowledge, Kabbalistic knowledge, Templar knowledge, and Rosicrucian knowledge. Yep. So,
1: so. And right there, you just yeah. listed all the main veins of high cult orders and uh, traditions that still linger on today. And it, it just makes sense that that there would be this shared spiritual worldview if this watcher knowledge was something that was universal back then in these in these high societies. That it would all trickle down to this same point.
0: Yeah. Well, so now we're coming into the last section. So we've kind of given an overview of ancient Egypt, and we've talked about the cosmology. We've talked about some of the myths. We've talked about some of the gods. um, We've talked about the Sphinx, the the pyramids, and we've talked about how that kind of gets carried on in modern-day occultism, um, especially through the works like people like Aleister Crowley and even some of the Freemasons. Um, So now we're going to get into a section where we just basically talk about um uh, talk about this so what's, what's your guys' take on all of this? like we've just spent an hour going through talking about all this stuff, so let me just ask you all, what are your thoughts on this like what's your takeaways from this first, stuff? I want you Par- to, parallels right, any first, I
1: want you to go back and to sort of explain the the image that I think you drew it out in your notes here do you have the his notes there uh, yes, it's uh the picture of the sort of sky goddess being held up by the the guy there, you see
2: that one you were talking about? Oh, like uh, with uh, when Raw is riding across the uh, yeah, you know what I'm talking the about back like, of uh, Newt.
0: Yeah, you're it, talking about Shu holding up yeah, Newt. Like, yeah,
1: we were talking the other day about it being like this Egyptians, uh, the Egyptian version of like the uh, of like.
0: Uh, <clears throat> Let's, let's say that the, the, I want to okay. say that for the blessed baptized burn okay. section because okay. we're going to do one of those after that you was going to say you knew what I was getting into yeah I know exactly where you're going with that yeah that's important I want to say that um, but like are there anything that you guys see in this story that like are para- that you see paralleled? you think in Christianity um, oh yeah or- obviously the
2: primeval waters that you see in you know in Genesis 1 when the separation the of the waters, the separation yeah. Yeah, of the water the and the lands, and you see that with a tomb. it's a robbery of the Christian worldview, like most right. ancient myths are. Uh, that's that's my take on it. Okay. You have this creation of material and matter right. with Atum, uh, who's the the god that comes from the egg and becomes the primeval mound. You have the separation of land and water, and then he gives birth to all these gods and deities yep. that. Or, like Genesis 2, where you have a creation of order, like he creates order from within himself, um, which is what you know Yahweh does. Uh, the Godhead they create uh, order from the material and matter that they've created as well. So, uh, very relative uh, to the biblical narrative, I think, uh, whenever you take time to sit and think about it. Um, and again, anytime i feel like all these cultures that have this kind of knowledge this watcher knowledge it's they're they're not very original it's it's why every culture it's kind of the same yeah. thing because it's it's a robbery of the true myth of Christianity, no matter what culture you go to, whether it be Egypt or in Central America or whatever, it's all kind of it's all really relative because yep. the these fallen beings, these watchers, whatever you want to call them, are robbing from the the truth of God's story of creation and uh, trying to uh, be their gods and and, and be worshipped by these these people.
0: Yeah. Let me That's ask you all this question. Yeah, go ahead. Do, you, do you think that Egypt is a pre-flood civilization or post-flood civilization? Mm-hmm. I know where Richie's at. Uh, I think the
1: uh, dis- the uh, the ancestors of, of the Egyptians. I think they descend from a pre-diluvian sort of civilization.
2: Gotcha. Well, I'll say this. I th- I say post-flood. Yeah. I, I, think, I think. I think. I think. I think there there is a culture and people that were there pre. Yeah. Flood because I'm kinda on board with the Sphinx
0: yeah.
2: being pre flood too. Yeah. yeah. Um which is kinda kinda contradictory to what I think about um the Egyptian culture really being after the flood. Well I guess because has- if the Sphinx is pre flood, what are they building it for? You know what I mean, to guard if if they're not yeah. In, in, thinking the same as what the well, I mean, post flood. I, I guess it doesn't really matter if the people <laughs> themselves
1: were pre or post flood that are there. Like the knowledge that both sort of sides carried, like okay, pre yeah. and post flood d- post flood, The knowledge is coming the from the same place. Yeah. It's the, yeah. it's watcher knowledge Go, on either yeah. side of the point. You
2: have it before and then maybe, you know, with the flood it's wiped out and then yep. these uh Spiritual beings are like okay, let's let's go again. Let's try this a yeah. second time. Yeah,
0: that's what I that's what I'm thinking. I mean, I think that the Bible's pretty clear that it, at the very least, Egypt as we know it in the Bible is a post flood culture. Yeah. Like I'm looking at Genesis 10. I'm reading the Septuagint here, and in verse six it says the sons the sons of Ham were Cush and Egypt, right. and Put in Canaan. Like this is post flood. This is Genesis 10. And one of the sons that comes from Noah's son Ham is Egypt, and obviously he's going to go on to found, you know, found that the nation that's named after him. And so, but I I think that it's 100% possible to agreeing with Richie. Um, and it's, I think wow, there, well, <laughs> agreeing with Rich, wow. Well, I think that there's good archaeological evidence for this too. That there are people in that. Imagine place. that. um, They are there are there is evidence of people in that place back you know 10,000 BC. They may not have had any permanent structures that we can find, but there is evidence of of people being there um, in that era and. You know, perhaps is, the Sphinx is a leftover from that culture that gets kind of added on to and becomes a guardian temple, uh, a temple guardian right. later yeah. on, you know, or something like that. But it, at the very least, it does seem like that the Sphinx is perhaps an older culture. That is I mean, trying maybe to. Maybe
1: the Sphinx served the same purpose, like even with the old culture. Like maybe it was
0: still this guardian of sacred space that they had then. Well, yeah. at the yeah. very, very least, could be. you have something, you have the as above, so below going on yep. with it. Yeah. Right? But it's it's reflecting uh, the heavens. And it's like Graham Hancock says that it's frozen on the ground. Yep. Right? So it's kind of a star map, at the very least, if that's true. You know, so. You know, you can see that as <laughs> as tying in with a later Egyptian culture, kind of picking that up, I think, and and using it as um, a place to kind of harness the powers of heaven for resurrecting god kings and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think that those two things have to be in conflict with one another. Yeah, so. It's a both end. Yeah, right. I think so. Yeah. And I think I've let a
1: lot of people down. I think they were expecting my take to be like, uh, that Ra was this alien that came down in a pyramid Aliens. UFO and just just seeded the ancient culture of Egypt, and well, I mean, that's absolutely my take. Like that's that's <laughs> that's absolutely what I believe. Like, I
2: don't want to let part. the people down. Call it raw,
1: call it watchers. I mean, whether they came down in a cloud, no or matter what, them.
2: they're ultra Right Exactly my point. Yeah. And no matter how you look at it, they're from a different dimension. Facts. No matter how
0: you cut the cheese, it's, <laughs> yep.
2: they're they're so, they're an alien
0: to they're this alien. world, absolutely. to this realm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, all right. Alien. So... So we're going to get now into a section on, okay, we've talked about some of our takes on the story here. We've we've kind of talked about our take on the pyramids and, you know, if they're post—they're antediluvian, post-diluvian, all that. Um, but let's talk about the things about this story that we can bless, baptize, and burn, right? We even kind of did this with the Atlanta story last week where we talked about that it's kind of a— It's a story that's a warning, right? About what happens whenever you don't wear your prosperity with humility and moderation, right? Those types of things. Um, So let's do that with this Egyptian story and with the cosmology of Egypt. So let's start off this way. Um, Is there any what? What must we burn um, with these stories and these myths that we've we've seen here today? Go ahead, Richie. <laughs> go ahead, Travis. Let's go, go ahead. to break. Richie's Listen, heart right off the Richie's bat. Richie's going to
1: say burn. Richie doesn't want to burn any of it, so it's, it's probably best that you all start with the burnings because I won't. will not be taking the torch to
0: anything right now. Well, right. I, I think at the very least. Uh, well, not at the very least, uh, but I think that you have to burn the idea that um, that the most high God here. Well, he's not really the most high God, but um, the, these gods. Are the creators of of creation right? Like Atum is the being who created all things, who arises from the primordial waters. Whenever Which, we look at the biblical- so we're
1: burning the fact that the uh, the idea that they are the creator gods. Yes,
0: yes. Would you burn
1: um, that, Richie? I would burn that. Okay, yeah. Okay. I and think you that, I
2: find it interesting too that like they they don't have a uh, category for. The, where the primeval waters came from. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. There, there's
0: already just this assumed, something. Yeah, yeah, there's already something there. Yep. Well, it's kind of like in opposition well, and, to the Greeks. Yeah. Right? Like, the Greeks, you go back so far for them that you uh, eventually you have an unmoved mover, right? Which is what yeah. their god is. You have this unmoved mover. But for the Egyptians, you just go back so far and eventually you just have nothing. Yeah, you It's stop. just waters. Yeah, well,
2: that's... You know, Tim Mackey talked about that. You know, the way we think of nothing, mm-hmm. and the way they view nothing, yep. it's to- two totally different things. Yeah, yep. Like we view nothing as no thing. Yeah. No, like there is nothing, absolutely nothing. No waters, no Zero. space, no time, no space time continuum. Nothing. <laughs> right, continuum. Yes. No, there is nothing. But to them, nothing was had to do more with order. That's right. Yeah, it had more to do with order, and you just had the the chaos, the, chaos, the water, yep. and from this chaos arose their god, uh, a tomb, and uh, so that, I just think that's kind of interesting. I know yeah. we're blessed baptizing and a burning, but I right. just I
0: thought that was kind of no. Kinda I neat. think I think that it is so. But I think that we have to burn the idea that Atum is the God from whom everything comes from, right? Right. The, the Bible story is no; it's it's Yahweh, and not only that, but we have to burn the idea that God is created um, because uh, Atum is self-created, right? Because before this touches on your point, Travis, um, Atum is self-created, and before his self-creation, there was just nothing, right? It was just yeah. disordered w- waters. Um, in the biblical story. It, there is the most high God, Yahweh, is uncreated. Right? And yeah. he doesn't emerge from the waters. Um, he, he brings order to the waters. Um, yeah. he doesn't, like, he, he's not self-created from them. Um, right. He's pre-existing the, the primordial waters. Yeah, the, and that's what the biblical stories do, and it's interacting with these things, these stories.
1: Yeah. And I know that we had this discussion the other day, but would you, would you be okay with the idea that the, uh, the Egyptian gods that you're mentioning there that they had uh, a div- a dominion over the skies, over the planetary bodies, over things like
0: that like any other principality that we see yeah. in scripture well I think at the very least um, the biblical worldview affirms that these are principalities right. over Egypt I mean for example Richard we were talking about this yesterday and you wanted to get into this um, that's what the plagues are in, Absolutely, in Exodus, right? Yep. Yahweh literally stepping into the realm of these principalities—the Nile, the sky, the yep. the the earth, right—and then the you know the firstborn, taking out the firstborn, yep. right. This is this is the the godson who is going to. This is the this. Yeah, is and you see, yeah,
1: it's literally Yahweh, uh, literally uh, sucker punch, soccer punching in the mouth every one of these uh, Egyptian principalities, and each one of the plagues is designed to be this this uh, very precise strike against each of the mm-hmm. principalities of Egypt like you can literally break down each plague and sort of even look and see what uh, Egyptian god it was targeting yeah. like you have things like with the firstborn son you could literally link that to like Osiris who was a, a god of like of, of fertility and things like that so just the whole thing it was literally God it was Yahweh like spanking the Egyptian
0: gods yeah. Like they were unruly, like bratty children. Yeah, I, I think that you're right. And so, um, so yeah, I think that you can affirm that these beings are real. I mean, yep. the biblical story seems to allude to that. And, um, yeah, you which, just have to would say explain, that they're part of the angelic hierarchy. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, I mean, that explains why even today, like somebody like Aleister Crowley uh, has a meeting with these, exactly these right. beings that are... Uh, pretty much the same mm-hmm. as what we see in ancient Egyptian well, cosmology. It's no different than, uh, what is it, planet Narnia? Yeah. That Lewis ascribes spiritual
1: beings to yeah. these heavenly bodies. Oh, it's
0: a discarded image.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But you, you see this, uh, I mean, people have no problems thinking that uh, elemental spirits have dominion over the various elements of the earth, even the moon, the heavenly bodies. So it's that same sort of. Pattern just yeah. sort of in the Egyptian culture.
0: Well, yeah, what we're doing is we're taking that and we're fitting it into our story, but into a hierarchy. Yep. Um, it's that yeah. These things are real spiritual beings, but they're under the Most High God. And in this particular story, these are gods or principalities who have rebelled against Yahweh, and He steps in in very Psalm eighty-two like fashion and spanks them. Yep. <laughs> and So could
1: you then? Would you, then you be then be comfortable saying like that? Man.
0: Yeah. You will die. You will like die like any man. man. But uh,
1: would you be comfortable in saying that, uh, like the sky god, literally has dominion over the sky in in the Egyptian culture? Like that's a spiritual being that was given sort of uh, dominion over the sky. Yeah, like I before mean, the I, fall.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you could say that that was a, an angelic being that God delegated the authority to right. rule in the skies, and then he takes the name God for himself at Babylon exactly. and becomes yep. the god the god of Egypt. You know, one of the gods of Egypt. But um, oh man, I just gotta ritually read Psalm 80, 82, Psalm eighty, <laughs> eighty one right now because it reminds me so much of what Yahweh does. He says, uh, "I say that you are gods and the children of the Most High, but now you die as humans." Oh, <laughs> yep. Yes. And one of the, uh, one of, and as one of, and as of one of the rulers, you fall. Stand up, O God, judge the earth, because you will inherit among all the nations. That's exactly what happens in the plagues. Yep, you die like you die like men. Right. It's a
2: microcosmic judgment. Yeah, and honestly, on the on this area, you know, that's right. All
0: and honestly, it's
2: almost like the plagues were God dealing dealing
1: literally the death punch to the Egyptian pantheon and, and their hold on the culture. Because it's after that point, you see this Egypt start to go into decline. To even now, there there are people that. Don't even know their own history. Like they don't even know how their monuments and were built. They don't know the the scope of their their ancestors'
0: religious beliefs or anything like that. So it's almost it's been wiped out from history. Yeah. I think that there's some other things here with this story that we can th- let's get well, we've talked about what we can burn. Let's get into what we can bless and baptize here. Because we've already touched on some of it already. Like yep. obviously. Um I think that like so, for example, I look at Shu in the Egyptian cosmology, and I look at that, and I'm like, huh, there's something true about that, because sh- this is what you are talking about earlier, Richie. Like, in the Egyptian cosmology, he bridges heaven and earth. Yep. Right? He's the He is the sky it god. It almost
1: reminds me, too, of what we were talking about by, by time and space being masculine and feminine. Yeah. You can almost see that sort of pattern reflected
0: in... Similar. Yep. yep. Very similar. Um... But you see here that he's bridging heaven and earth in the, the depictions of Egyptian cosmology. And that's in Hebraic cosmology too, right? Except it's there's a world tree. I was going to say it's, it's, a, it's a very a, classic world tree. It's imagery. a tree, it's tree of life. It bridges yep. heaven and earth. And here it is. And there is a God on that tree, yep. a God-man. Right, Jesus Christ, who literally bridges heaven and earth in his hypostatic union—one hundred percent God, one hundred percent man—he comes down and he dies, dies for man, reconciling him back to the God of heaven. Right, that's the gospel message. That's the core of the gospel. And so, like, there is something true about that Egyptian cosmology. Now, don't get me wrong, it's off, right? Like, it's not Shu who sits at the the center of the world. Rather, it's Jesus Christ. Um, But there is something there that you have to admit. It's like, hmm, you're not far from the kingdom, right? Like, you are, but you're you're closer than you think you are. Um, I don't know if you guys got anything you want to comment on that, but I think another thing that we've got that we can bless is... um, Surprisingly, the story of Ra, which is almost yeah. in some ways, I'm going to say this and it'll probably get me burned at the stake. But I that's I right. say. But so, I see them building the pyre right well, now. Well, that's okay because I, I can fight pretty decent and I can, I'll, fight, I'll fight you all. He's like, um, I can fight pretty decent. <laughs> and so, um, but anyway, uh, there is a kind of a proto. Uh, evangelium here with the story of Ra. I mean, think about it, right? The story of Ra is the story of a God who who lives life, he dies, he goes into the underworld, he fights the chaos serpent, and then he's resurrected, right? I mean, that's what the yeah. entire pharaonic um, rituals and. Uh, you know, the burial rituals and the tombs and, and the pyramids. That's what it's all aimed at, is resurrecting gods, right? Yeah. And I think that you can look at that and you can say, hmm, you know.
2: And they want to participate in his dominion. Oh, that's right. They yeah. want to participate in his. Just, I mean, and just as Christ has commissioned us to participate in his, in his dominion over the world.
0: Yeah. And uh, You can look at that story and you can say, hmm, there's something wrong about this, but there's also something very right about this right there is one who has done these things that you say that ra has done but it's not ra it's jesus christ right he came he lives he dies he fights he goes into the underworld he fights the chaos monster the serpent right and then he's resurrected like this because. is this is i mean this is what people i mean this is the reason why people like tolkien and lewis talked about christianity being the true myth right like in the same way that the jewish law pointed forward to and prefigured jesus christ right the the gentile myths did the same thing like it's like just look here at the egyptian myth okay obviously the story of dying and rising gods are not unique in the ancient world right i mean you have it here in egypt in their built into their cosmology and not only that, but look around at Greek mythology, right? You have Pan, who's di- who's a dying god as well, right? Yep. Um, so, but the thing that makes Jesus Christ unique and true is it actually co- he comes into time and space and actually does the things that these myths all pointed towards, right? In the same way that he came and fulfilled the Jewish law. He also comes and he fulfills the Gentile myths. Yeah, I was going to say it ties into what we were talking about on several episodes about Jesus fulfilling the pagan longings. I mean, it's the same reason why Paul at the Areopagus and in the book of Acts stands there among the Stoics and the Epicureans, (laughs) and he's quoting Stoic philosophers. You know, Cleanthes' hymn to Zeus. It's a hymn to Zeus. And he's saying... Ah, you say that there is this God in whom we live, move, and have our being, and I tell you that you are right. But you're wrong about who it is. It's not Zeus, it's Jesus Christ, right? It's the same thing that's going on here with this. Like, there's a story here about dying and rising God, so obviously this is a thing in the ancient world. But they're wrong about who it is it's Jesus Christ. He is the unique God who has entered into time and space and who actually did die and actually was resurrected. And now you can participate in His story the way that you always wanted to with Ra's. The reason why you couldn't resurrect dead pharaohs is because Ra is dead. And he has no power to resurrect anybody because he's dead too. The only God that can resurrect you is Jesus Christ. Yes. Yes. And that's the reason.
2: That makes me want to punch a (laughs) jackal-headed pharaoh god right in the mouth. He's just going to have to settle for me, though. We're just going to skull bash, and then he's going to
0: knock me out. Listen, and this is the reason why Egypt and the mythology of Mm -hmm. Egypt gets assigned to the dustbin of history. Because Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords, right? And early Christians, you know, these things that we're talking about here, these, which are going to probably make some people uncomfortable, and that's okay. Um, you, you, you're, you're okay to be comfortable. With, uh, uncomfortable. That's all right. Um, these, are, these aren't points that early Christians missed. These were points of evangelism that they actually used whenever they went into Egypt and shared the gospel there. You know, it's, it's fascinating to me because um, one of the centers of the ancient world of Christianity, guess where it was at? Well, one of them was in Antioch. Guess where the other one was at? Alexandria, Egypt. Yep. How does that happen? Well, the story goes that St. Mark, the very same St. Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, he went to Alexandria He's martyred in Egypt, but before he was martyred, he shared the gospel there, and the people come to receive Christ as the true myth, the real God who dies and rises again, who can resurrect the dead back to life. And now that's why you end up with you know Coptic Christianity there, like yep. it's it's because Christ is Lord,
1: and um, those same seeds planted and laid in the soil by Mark there, yeah. It's
0: it's amazing to see. It is, yeah. And so that's what Christianity gives, and the early Christians knew that, and this is why they this is what they did whenever they went in. They knew. I mean, that's the reason why Paul is reading Stoic philosophers and he's quoting them back to people because he wants to take their story and show how it can participate. In the, it's like, yes, you're right. There is a God in whom we live, move, and have our being. You're just wrong about who it is. You're out here making temples to gods with, without that you don't even know, right? Temple yep. to the unknown God. Today I show you and reveal you to the God who has made himself known. It's Jesus Christ, right? That's, that's what the biblical writers are doing. That's the way that they are evangelizing, and that's the way that we should too, and that's the way that early Christians did. So I don't know if you all have anything you want to add to that, but...
2: This just turned into a sermon. It did. Josh (laughs) just
1: preached the sermon on Egyptian cosmology.
0: There you go. Did I literally just share the gospel from Egyptian cosmology? You You did. 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 Under a
2: WWE blanket. (laughs) Under a WWE blanket. This is the most epic night ever. This is.
0: (laughs) In your your own fort.
2: In your own fort. Your your sanctum of solitude. That was was great, though. I mean, that's what apologetics is. It's meeting people where they're at and showing them where they're wrong and what the truth is. Yeah. That's that's what it is, and it comes in many different forms, many different shapes, but everybody's not reached the same. That's why this kind of stuff is important to talk about.
0: Yeah, well, and this this also goes to show that you need to do research, right? Like you need to know the stories of people, and if you can show them how their stories and the longings that their hearts have been trained for can participate in Christ Jesus, you have a good bridge. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so um yeah, rather
2: than just throwing it out and making I mean, them feel stupid, yeah. uh, you can say, look, this this does tie in in a lot of ways, but it, it's it's false, but this is this is the truth. This is the true God, and you can come to know him and worship him and you don't you don't have to build these pyramids and yep. set up these resurrection chambers because Christ has already he has done that for you, and he's commissioned you to go out into the world and to spread this same gospel we're spreading to you, and you become a son of God mm-hmm. just through and by him. That's right. I mean, if people ever doubt the importance of looking
1: at these pagan cultures and finding these bridges, I mean, look at my own story. It was li- these same bridges that we're finding and identifying and uh, spanning the gap now that led me to become a Christian. Yeah. It led me to ab- abandon the, the shallowness of paganism compared to the true myth. And that's something that's absolutely important to me.
0: Yeah. Well, and that goes to show the importance of the work that's being done here and in other places that are doing similar things, right? Like, I know to some people, like, it's probably sketchy that we're spending all of our time digging into pagan myths and talking about them on episodes. But here's the reality. We are, given, like, we are giving apologetics that nobody else is. Or it hasn't for centuries, probably. Um, and that's why we think that this work is important, because we are in a world right now. I mean, look at Crowley, right? Crowley at the beginning of the 1900s, who was communing with Egyptian gods, yep. right? Like, you need to know, like, the details of these stories and how they work together so that you can, you know, reach this type of person. And, you know, with the world that we're in today, that's even more true now than it was back then. And so that's why this work is important that's why it's important to know the stories of other cultures the myths and all of those things um, because you can use it as a tool for evangelism and sharing the gospel so guys before we sign off I want to ask you one more question how were the pyramids built? oh boy
1: I feel like you're just setting me up to
0: get stoned at this point like I'm going to be magic giants giants Aliens? What do you think? Yes, all of the above. Yes, all of the above. So, what, I mean, it, it really is when
1: you think about it. Now, wh- whether you want to say that it was actually hand-built by aliens or giants, or if it was just the watcher knowledge given to man, and they the built the pyramids, it's, it's the
0: same thing. Yeah. Well, here's the reality. We do know that Pharaoh's, Pharaoh did have magicians who were able to do real magic. Exactly, exactly right. You see it in the Exodus narrative, right? Yep. Like Aaron and Moses. That's like, the whole reason they challenged
1: the Egyptian priests. Yeah. To one up their magic, it wasn't because they were doing some kind of parlor tricks, like you see portrayed in like the Prince of Egypt. It was to show you that the the magic they were doing was real, and that Yahweh sort of one uped everything they were doing in the name of those
0: principalities. That's right, and so yes. Yes to all of those things. Yes to all those yeah. things. They yeah. do get yep. they do get alien tech and knowledge from fallen divine council members, and they are doing real magic there uh, that Moses and Aaron encountered. So. And they do have kings that are considered god kings who are also giants. So yes, Nephilim kings, all of the, the, above. All of the
1: above. Yes, D. To all of the
0: above. D, all the above. That's right. <laughs> Did the whole above. group just agree with Sketchy Richie at the end of the episode? You know what better way to end this episode, really? Yeah.
2: I feel so you validated know, after that. after hearing Josh there for a few minutes. Somebody in the Discord, please make. Th- I know everybody's seen the meme of Batman slapping Robin. Somebody needs to yes. make that uh, with Josh's head and then the head of raw as yeah. Robin slamming him saying, yeah. No, Christ is the true god. Just
0: <laughs> smashed
2: raw. So just yes. Smash,
0: smashed raw. It's like I did the it's you like are I did the dead. loser Norse gods too. Yeah. Uh, now I'm just talking about the loser Egyptian gods. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it feels good to win, don't
2: it? It feels good to win winning, good We're to gonna win,
0: win again. Yes. We're gonna win again. We're winning. People love it. Huge. <laughs>
2: It's going it's it's to be great. It's, it's going to be, be huge. Huge winning. Huge. So, all right. Have you seen our poll numbers? Have you seen our poll numbers? Have you seen our <laughs> listens? None from the people the f- love it. None from the fake news.
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. Did we literally just end this episode quoting all I'm, kinds of Donald Trump stuff? We did. We did. We did. It's phenomenal. Can't get Trump is one of it.
1: the patron saints of Sword and Sass.
0: Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> we just got canceled. We did. Alright guys Well thank you so much For listening to this week's Edition of the Sword and Staff Uh, I know that it was Probably like drinking From a uh, From a a Fire extinguisher From a poison chalice (laughs) From a poison chalice Um, But hopefully You stuck it out Here at the end Of the episode And you got some Good nuggets To take along With you uh, if you've got any questions, anything, let us know. Also, if you would like more content, head on over to our Patreon at www.patreon.com backslash order. For just $5 a month, you can get Sword and Staff Uncut. Whenever you do that, you get episodes delivered to you faster. You get all sorts of exclusive bonus content. There, there's just too much stuff for me to even name at this point. I can't even go into it, but If you want more information, head on over to our Patreon. Also, if you want to follow us on social media, head on over to our Facebook at facebook.com backslash swordandstafforder and and on Instagram at swordandstafforder. You can follow us there. Keep up with with all of the stuff that we're doing. And also, we have a website I was going to say, mention the website. Yep, www.swordandstaff.net. Richie and I are posting blog posts there. We also have some from Travis that we need to put over on there as well. We're moving them all over, and we're planning on writing some more. Also, if you're interested in contributing, send us over some stuff, right? We're we're willing to take a look to guest contributors um, if it's in the vein of the things that we're saying. So if you think that you're interested in that and want stuff uh, featured on the Sword and Staff website, head on over and do that. Uh, Send it over to Richie and I. We'll take a look at stuff. We'll read it, and uh, we'll go from there. And I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anything. Um, Don't think so. No, I think that's about it. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. And we'll see you next week on The Wandering Wizard with the first week or the first episode on reviewing the first chapter of The Hobbit. And so we'll see you guys then. See you then. See ya. See ya.